to almost 40-something middle-aged guys with adult lives and responsibilities, but that still somehow find time for the important stuff, by which I mean the nerdy stuff, which is completely unimportant and has no impact on the rest of the world. As always, I'm Ben, and I'm here with Tommy Bones. Hello. And uh, we are we are having a little chat. Tom is drinking a really cool IPA <laughs> from a local place, and I was very jealous when I saw it. Is that my cue? <laughs> <laughs> it's shameless play. I just thought it's called Chaos Emerald. It's related to what we're... <laughs> Lone Pine Brewing from Gorham, Maine. Is it good? Uh, yeah, it's not bad. Look, it's got the word chaos in it. It's got Chaos Emerald, so it's a video game reference, so that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. And I also like to mention it because uh, you actually have a hops allergy, don't you? I do. Well, sensitivity. Sensitivity, okay. So, like, if you hear Tom sneezing or sniff when it's busy, (laughs) that's his dedication of this show. Like, he's going to fuel himself up even if it's going to harm his personal health. (laughs) You're an American hero, Tom. Well, today we got got a couple things to talk about. We're going to start with just a little recap. We did a little bit of D&D talk last week about effective role-playing. Tom, we thought of a couple points that we left out last week, so we're going to bring those up again. Following that, we had a big drop today, Tom. Big drop. Yes. Dump. The Warhammer lots preview, of, Dead and Divine. Of, well, it's what is it? Dead and what is Dead and Divine? The Dead and the Divine. Well, I'm ho- hoping it's more divine than dead, by which I mean good. Not, I actually prefer the the dead stuff. Faction, hmm. faction wise. Hmm. Yeah, faction wise. <laughs> Necromancers. I was <laughs> in a different direction with that. <laughs> Me too. I was like, <laughs> you and I are making eye contact. Like, are you going this way or that way? We're both, I I'm with you either way. Just let me know. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a yes and, isn't it? That's why we work so well together. Do you actually? I have a. Uh, do you remember the the Halloween penguin story? I'll have to tell that in a minute. <laughs> the Halloween penguin story. All right, so I'll I'll give that. Let me, let me I'll finish to finish our agenda. So we're doing D and D. We're doing uh, the forty k drop. I might talk a little bit about Kill Team because we just had uh, a couple games in the past week with some factions we'd never played before, and it was kind of surprising. So that's on on target. But look, I want to, Tom, the, the yes and story I'm giving to is I was at a Halloween event. I forgot what I was dressed up as, but you were Bob Ross. Right, right. You were the brownie man? That sounds right. Because it's, it's, I just carried paper towels more like a plaid shirt. Um, but I remember we, it was at a, a local club in D.C. and uh, it was a lot of fun. And a couple like, like frat boys were getting a little ornery and... Um, I don't even remember how it started. I think one of them like like bumped into me real hard and uh, mm-hmm. said like get out of the way. You know, like one of those things where it's like, dude, what are you doing? So uh, I was, you know, getting accosted by a guy dressed as a penguin and a guy dressed as a Viking, and, and Tom <laughs> showed up out of nowhere with his Bob Ross paintbrush <laughs> pretending to paint their face, <laughs> and it completely neutralized them when they walked away. That's right. De-escalation. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're not gonna hit Bob Ross. <laughs> Just draw a happy little tree on your cheek. It was beautiful, man. So let's let's start with D and D, man. What's uh what's top of mind for you? I know we had a, a deep dive last week, but you mentioned a couple things that were sticking sticking to you. So what else? Yeah, pretty much as soon as we ended the session, I was like, you know what? There was a couple of things that I forgot to mention. Inspiration. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I just <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about my process. <clears throat> Inspiration can come from anywhere, and I think it's important that you don't limit it strictly to plot points and story. 
but you can be inspired for all kinds of reasons, um, like gameplay mechanic-wise. Um, so for this current campaign, um, there's, you know, the, the BBEG, <laughs> the big bad evil guy. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know I'm illiterate. you got to spell those things out. <laughs> um, but they're kind of uh, more or less out of the picture. Uh, and they have they rely on four like uh, I call them acolytes in the campaign. Uh, there are four acolytes that each have their own thing uh, that they're trying to do, and the party needs to sort of stop them. Um, I got that from I, well, I drew inspiration from Sailor Moon oh. for that one because you got Queen Barrel, and she has the four generals. And each of the generals have their own plan for restoring the Dark Kingdom. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously, the Sailor Scouts stopped them. What bothered me was that they do it one by one. You know, like, they all four of them, they each have their own plan. And That's like, right. I'm they don't work do together this. at all, right? Right. And it's like, oh, okay, you stopped me. I'm dead now. You're like, well, I guess it's my turn. I'm going to do my plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so I came up with a system, and it's it's probably not original. Like I'm sure other people have had it as well, but I, I'm kind of proud of it. That each of the four acolytes, they have their own plan that they're trying to to do to enact, uh, and they each have they each sort of move along a, a timeline track. So some of like so some of them are a little longer than others, and that sort of lends itself to a natural progression through an entire campaign. Um, so at certain story events or milestones, they all move one step down their track toward their end goal. You know, be it, be it this one, you know, has a, a, a to-do list, right? They have to get this certain reagent and do this and do this and do this. And each thing takes a different amount of time. Um, but as they're progressing down that track, if the party doesn't stop one of the acolytes before they complete their end goal, then they get to it. Then obviously the acolyte will enact it and the party will have to deal with the repercussions of that. That's really cool. So, so basically instead of having them sequential like Sailor Moon, and I'll go back to that example in a minute because Sailor Moon is actually a underrated show. Mm-hmm. Um, so you be, do you have like a tracker where like, do you actually like actively like, kind yeah. of move like almost like an excel sheet or is it just in the back of your mind you're always thinking about what are all of the people who are off screen doing well it's hand drawn because <clears throat> that's just i'm old school like that I have a notebook. yeah i got the notebook and paper and pen but yeah uh, uh on the other end of the coin it also kind of kind of makes it non-linear like if you can if the party uncovers a secret earlier than i'm anticipating they could go after one of the other acolytes you know, before like, so you know, one track is shorter than the other, obviously, and then the the fourth one would be longer in order to give the party enough time to if they go in order to like get right. there, yeah. uh, just sort of naturally. But that's not to say they have to do it in that order. If they decide to go after one of the I don't know, quote unquote, later acolytes, they might neglect one of the other ones. Who, and that's not to say if they enact their plan it's the end of the game it's just it has consequences to later the status on. quo yeah 
So, so kind of like this is really interesting. I never even thought of an approach like this, but it seems like it's the the like the advice is don't just try to make a sequential story. As the DM, think about what all of the off-screen characters would be doing. Mm-hmm. And it's that a living you, world. It's a living world, and you create this kind of experience where your players really do have agency because they can go out of order. Mm-hmm. Now that's really cool. I wanted to do one quick aside because I, I, you know, I don't know if a lot of people on the line are going to have, or on the line <laughs> listening are going to have color. Are, callers, <laughs> let us know. Have you heard Sailor Moon, dude? Sailor Moon, I, I kind of feel like it's now perceived as something that's like stereotypically female. Mm-hmm. Uh, oriented or like the fan bases and I, you, know, you and I are always talking about not being gender normative about like you know in your case what your current child in my case my future child like I don't care what they like you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. great example too like I've watched My Little Pony I'm not a brony but it's not a bad cartoon it's like pretty right. funny sometimes uh, probably telling too much about myself the point is Sailor Moon is actually <laughs> a really freaking good cartoon and it was one of the first animes I ever saw because that was before yeah. like Dragon Ball was even a really widespread. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's pretty good. Like it's kind of dark. Like it's underrated, right? Yeah, that was seventh grade. So yeah, I that's. To... I think that's what it was for. It might have been fifth grade for me. Yeah. It was on Channel Eleven uh, every morning while I got ready to go to school. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it was. So for me too. Uh, let's see, I lived in Virginia when I watched it, so I must have been fifth grade for me, but it was, uh, and you're one year older than me, so I figured there's probably some overlap there, but, uh, mm-hmm. I remember, yeah, I would get up early in the morning, and, like, it's like, oh, I gotta go to school, but I'm gonna go watch this, like, really different, like, show, <laughs> which is kind of dark and cool, so, yeah, Sailor Moon, and then, uh, are we allowed to talk about the, the movie you starred in? <laughs> if you want. <laughs> What's, what was it? So, Tom, you're actually like, kind of low-key a movie star because you were in a, a fan film in the Sailor Moon universe, which I was shocked to find out. It was actually pretty good, too. Sailor Moon the movie on YouTube. So go look up Sailor Moon the movie on YouTube, and, and Tom plays one of the four generals that are like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah, Sailor Moon the movie. The user is Sailor Moon the movie. <laughs> Uh, my oh, one of my old coworkers, David, uh, directed. Well, he pretty much did everything. <clears throat> he was going to school for graphic or graphic design, special effects, one of those things. Um, <laughs> so it was pretty much just him, and he he shot the whole thing with his his own camera and edited it, and did all the special effects, and we just had to show up in costume and read lines. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So, so stay tuned. We'll have to do like a remake of something one day, a low budget remake. All right. So anyway, that was your first D and D thing. Think about the world as a living world, and what are the the other characters who are off screen doing? I love it. What's did you have a second like good uh, idea? The, the only other thing was more of, uh, towards characters, because uh, every every of my other thing was DM related. Um, but as a character, when you're a player. I think it's a good idea to, uh, when you're creating a character, and, and that's probably my favorite part of being a player, is Dude. coming up with with uh, a history and you know backstory and all that. I think you should let your let the character you create use that to explore different parts of your own personality mm. or different things that you wouldn't normally acknowledge. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
and it gives you the opportunity to uh, roll with different things and and see how it, it uh, how it feels to be more honest with yourself. I don't know if I'm explaining that right. No, it makes sense. It's kind of like you know, we, as as individuals, we're we're pretty complex beings with a lot of different facets to our personality. Mm-hmm. When you create a D and D character. There's kind of you're kind of a caricature of a real person because there's only ever a couple things that are going to be really exaggerated that come out. So, for example, if like we have one character in our current game who's a klepto, uh, or one character who's like uh, really, really overly enthusiastic to compensate for some kind of childhood trauma or something. So you kind of go to the extremes on on some of these character quirks, but finding something that's rooted in your own experience can help you make more authentic and, and also help you as an individual kind of explore what would it be like if I took that to the next step. I think a great example is in, in our old campaign, uh, Gabrielle, who you guys might remember from episodes two and three, played a really cynical uh, drow <clears throat> who was, was you know, in some ways kind of reflective, I think, of parts of Gabrielle's personality, but without all of the friendliness and, and attempts to like be nice to people, she's a little more like direct. And I remember from talking to Gabrielle, like it was interesting for her to explore, like, what would it be like to be a very direct person who's not afraid of offending people and expressing themselves? I think I think that fits with what you're talking about, right? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It, it can be freeing to to role play as something that you want to be or or you think yeah. would be cool to if you were a certain way. So I'm trying to think, is there like a character that you've played in the past where there was like a part of your personality you really enjoyed exploring? It didn't really come up, but uh, you might not know Theris. Mm-hmm. Uh, Theris is non-binary. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of does his thing. And, uh, and it was, it was kind of cool. Like it, not even having that out there, but just kind of knowing in the back of my mind, like, it doesn't affect anything. It's, you know, it's not the end of the world. It was fun. And I know that's like super, it's, you know, that's part of Theris's personality, but it's also not something, yeah, I, I wouldn't even have picked up on it. Now, granted, like maybe I would have if we, you know, were actually in person and Theris was a real person, but you're right. Like that's not the central element of his personality or the only thing that defines him, but is a part of it. I, I was going to say for me, do you remember that the, the Warforged I played named Cookie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was he was kind of like uh, this lost soul who suddenly became self-aware and had like nothing to really attach to. And the big thing I remember really enjoying was he had a very short attention span and if he got bored would just do destructive things. <laughs> and throughout my life, like I'm just bored all the time by by like, okay, I got to do this now and listen to this person, but I already know what they're going to say. <laughs> so as Cookie, I could just be like, yeah, I, I don't really care. Yeah, punch you. Yeah. So, so that was fun to kind of act on those impulses. So, yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. Uh, his name was Cookie, by the way, because he became a cook, not because he was he was a delicious cook. Cookie. He was a chef, yeah. But he was a warforged, so he didn't have taste buds. That's right. So everything he made was terrible. But I think I stole that idea from Bender in Futurama. I think I thought that was really funny. So not my idea. All right. We might run into him later. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> Um, I do I do love D and D and I mean we sh- we're gonna try Wrath and Glory at some point but just any kind of game where you can escape but um, allow yourself to communicate with people differently is is kind of an interesting experience so that is fun. Speaking of different experiences, how's that for a segue? 
Ready to talk to Operation Dumbo Drop from Warhammer today? Yeah. So, I'm curious. Based on the uh, the Dead and the Divine preview that you know you've read through, what is one word that describes your reaction to the whole drop? B plus. Okay. Just because like that's how I feel. Like I feel like okay, all right, but not like anything where. I'm like, I have to go out and buy that immediately, but where mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, this is an interesting direction. So like if you were my student, I'd give you a B plus. Okay. What what's the word you would use? <laughs> <laughs> I was leaning towards disappointment. Okay, so so you how about you tell me why you're disappointed and then I'll tell you why I was I was not super impressed, but there are a couple of things I was excited about. Okay. Because I don't know how closely you follow Warhammer community. Pretty oh, I I check it at least once a day. Because okay. So pretty much everything that they've released in this big preview, we've already known about. Like, there's really not a lot that's actually new. People have been clamoring for the the heavy intercessors. Yeah. Uh, because Space Marine players are never fucking happy. Um, the kill team rules, we knew that was coming. Um, I don't know, just a lot of it. Oh, really oh, the kill team part was was disappointing. Yeah. Well, a lot of it, you know, even yeah. the Titanicus, you know, they did the rumor engine with the knee gun. It was obviously a Titan. Obviously a Warmaster, yeah. <clears throat> so you know, and they, the the Guard or Uthengard, whatever the hell, they they did a whole big thing about that a couple of days ago. Um, oh, you mean the vampires? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, anyone who is familiar with. Warhammer Fantasy or whatever that was from originally. Like, oh, they're bringing it back? Cool. So, so like, here, here are my thoughts, right? So first, I'll, I'll do the, instead of the good, the bad, the ugly, I'll do, like, the kind of, the meh and the, okay. <laughs> so so the meh was kill team, like, I could not give less of a shit. Like, heavy intercessors, <laughs> I don't, like, they're going to cost a ton. I mean, intercessors alone are 16 points. These guys are in Gravis armor, which means toughness 5, extra... Uh, wound, so that that alone would make them at least 20 points. Then they got these like heavy bolt rifles or or any of the combinations they're in, mm-hmm. uh, which are cool. But again, like we're talking a lot of points to a, to an army that's already suffering from in kill team anyway, the inability to field a lot of units. And I don't see these replacing anything like the suppressor, right? right which has that auto cannon. So right. they're they look cool, but they're not going to do anything. In the game itself, so it's you get a captain with a heavy bolt rifle and then five yeah. of these heavy intercessors. And then on the Necron side, you get five flayed ones. And the Chronomancer. And a, and a Chronomancer. How, how the hell... That is the most unbalanced... Like, five flayed ones, they're what? Like, 12 or 13 points each? And these guys are at least going to be 22 each, I suspect? Yeah, so... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's like not even you can't even play a game unless it's like three intercessors versus all the flayed ones like you can't play a game with those groups so the only real saving grace i think is the quote-unquote uh they're changing well, where is it? they're changing the way close combat works because at face value it looks like a necron themed version of arena right close quarters hallways small doors uh, you know, small rooms it's basically arena that's green so, so Agrina. Yeah, there you R- go. Arena? Agrina. Agrina. Um, so stupid. Okay, good. <laughs> so yeah, the only thing is that they're 
they're changing the way close combat works. It's, so wait, is it a rule change, or you mean just in the way that the board is set up? Um, this expansion introduces new rules for close combat encounters in its claustrophobic depths. Oh, I didn't. Re- I don't think I hit that. Okay, because I'm looking at the board. It also looks like it's a little bit like arena, except you can do like a circular pattern instead of just like a bunch of hallways that are are kind of interchangeable. So the close combat changing, I could see that being interesting. Um, but how can you change close combat? Yeah, I don't know. That's the thing. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, how, how, how different is Kill Team Close Combat from, like, 40k Close Combat? Uh, the Flesh Wound mechanic? 40k doesn't have that. <clears throat> so maybe you don't do Flesh Wounds in Close Combat? Then the games would end too quickly, right? Yeah. I don't know. And it would... What also gets me... Well, what I noticed... They make a reference again to the Indominus models getting rules for Kill Team. Right. Um, but it specifically says all the rules will be included for Indominus models, not all Indominus models will have rules. Well, yeah, because there's no way you're going to have a bike. It just doesn't make <laughs> sense. It would just yeah, go so across <laughs> the board, wouldn't it? So there was some... Uh, I want to go fast. Oh, well, there goes Jimmy. I guess he's not going to play this kill team. <laughs> also, how, where is it coming from? Is it dropping out of like a drop pod? Can you do that? I'm sure you could with bikes. Oh, whatever. Now I'm just being nitpicky. Because <laughs> there's some, yeah, there's some ridiculous units in the Indominus box to, to have kill team rules. Like the Scorpec Destroyers. Scorpec Lord. Yeah. The, the, the commander has a tachyon arrow. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. So this could, probably goes back to our first episode. Yeah, best, so we should start over. The best weapons, but the Tachyon Arrow can literally level a mountain, right? It, it can reduce a mountain to nothing. But the the stat profile is uh, damage D6. So if you crap out that roll, you're doing one damage with a gun that can theoretically level a mountain. You're not even killing an Intercessor, right? It's not even a flesh wound. He's shrugging it off like nothing happened. That sucks. Yeah. Also, like, so so in my little group, my brother started playing Necrons uh, in addition to a couple other uh, armies. And uh, I gotta be honest, like, the flake ones don't look that good. Yeah. Like, the new ones, they're not any better than the old ones. Like, all these awesome models coming out. And if I was a Necron player, I'd be a little disappointed just because they, mm-hmm. they don't really do anything for me. There's nothing super yeah. cool there. I think some of the best flayed ones I've seen were just kit-bashed regular, because I guess lore-wise, any Necron can get the Flare virus. So right. if you take a normal Necron and just put some green stuff skin over him and some blade fingers. Uh, and people cut up the uh, sprues, right, and then use those. I know Andrew tried to do that. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So so yeah, I would grade the the kill team stuff is is a is a definite disappointment because mm-hmm. I'm I'm not going to use any of the space marines. They're not really going to be viable. I can't well I can't see how they would be. Um, the flayed ones are cool, but because we need them, they're not that cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the only place to the only place to get the heavy intercessors uh, is would be this box until they release their own kit. So well, well same thing with the flayed ones, right? Yeah. So. People are complaining, like, do I? I don't even play Kill Team. Do I have to buy the box to get the? It's like, well, you can wait, but you know that's kind of like the play to win mechanic that 
mobile games have. Like, you can either buy this with money now to have them, or you can spend time <laughs> to wait for them to be released on their own. Cool. So, so, all right. So, Kill Team part, yeah, I would give it. A, I'm not going to give it an F because you know I, I'm glad they're still supporting Kill Team, but I, mm-hmm. I, that's not where the B plus comes from. I agree. I, I think that was pretty boring. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. The other thing that they there are a bunch of things. Let me go to the next one that I thought was kind of boring. Do you do you give a shit about Lumineth? Uh no. Yeah, I could not. I couldn't. The models are cool. Like I got to admit the. The Moomoo's? <laughs> it's the designers. Cowboys of Moo Mesa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. But the wind one is like a fox demon kind of thing. He he does look real. like, I'm not going to lie, like, he looks pretty cool. Okay, you're right. Now that I'm looking at it, the fox guy looks cool. He's got a pretty decent helmet. But for an army, like, there's no amount of, like, money or coolness you can get me to play. You know, yeah, if I, I mean, want a freaky-looking cow, I'll go Slanesh, right? I mean... Uh, Age of Sigmar doesn't really grab me to begin with. Yeah. But you know, you got to give credit to the GW's designers. I hope they get paid well because some of the models lately have been really cool looking. I, I will say, yeah, absolutely. The the technology that they they pose the model because he's like in flight. Uh, this is by the way referring to the the uh, Severeth Lord, who's the Lord of the Seventh Wind, who's like this fox demon guy. <laughs> It's it's a really cool model. I, I actually have to give it that. I don't love the whole like he's floating on a weird whirlwind thing, but it, it is very dynamic. <laughs> right, right. There's a lot going on and it's creative. I just don't care about Age of Sigmar that much, or especially that army within Age of Sigmar. Mm-hmm. And right. the daughters of Cain get their own battle tome with some endless, endless spells. spells. Yeah. Blood Snake. Wasn't that the name of your band back in the day? <laughs> back in high school, yeah. Acapella metal. That's right. Mr. Sandman. Okay. I think we got something there. All right. Next up, we got Warhammer Underworld's Dire Chasm, the Crimson Court. So these are the uh, the Dragon Guard you were talking about, right? Yeah. Um, Dire Chasm. Now, Ufenkarn, that's the Cursed City Warhammer quests. Well, so that's that's the other thing. So do you want to, do you want to go to that first? Uh, either way. All right, so let's, let's do that one first. This is one of the ones I was most excited about because when I saw the video, I thought they were bringing back Mordheim. Mm. Yeah, no such luck. By the way, have you ever played the Mordheim like PC game that's on Steam? I have not. It sucks. <laughs> I still put like like 30 hours into it though because I just because I love Mordheim. It was such a cool game. <laughs> yeah. It's it was so dark and it was like it, like the whole like you were role playing with your guys. They were leveling up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was I tried to get into Warcry thinking it was going to be like that, but it just wasn't. So so look like I saw this and it's got that same kind of like feel. It's a ruined city and you're against all odds. Yeah. The the witch hunter guy looks decently cool. I, I get that there's a large uh, population of board gamers, like people that aren't interested in tabletop war wargaming, but will play board games. That, that this kind of appeals to. So I get they're gonna cash grab that, and the models look pretty cool. So so is this really? So this isn't like Warcry where you create your own army. This is like, like uh, Blackstone Fortress. 
Yeah. Ah. Alright. Yeah, Warhammer Quest. Game in a box. Kind of. <laughs> Is that like dick in a box? Yes. <laughs> Step one. Okay, I'm less excited about it now. I was more excited about it, but I mean, you could always you could always kit bash. I mean, like that uh, the witch hunter guy. I mean, he could be an inquisitor pretty easily. Mm-hmm. He's got a very uh, bloodborne thing going on. Yeah, he does. All right. Well, I was more excited about that one than I am now. <laughs> um, so then there's so the crimson core, dire chasm. Dude, I, so here's another thing. I used to love vampire accounts. Like, I very much wanted it. Back when they were the undead and then they became vampire accounts, I was, like, mm-hmm. really into that. I thought the blood dragons were cool. I thought, like, this, the ability to just have all these, like, zombie hordes was cool. Mm-hmm. These these models also look really tight. Like, like uh, every single one of them is a model, like, I would enjoy putting together and painting and having in my army. There's a little bit of, like, a legacy of Cain. Like, remember, like, Soul Reaver? Yeah. Um, along with like the blood dragons, I, I think they look pretty badass. Uh, I have to admit, I know less about Underworlds than I do about Sigmar. So uh, the models look cool. That's about all I can comment on. <laughs> so, so yeah, I don't like I. You and I tried playing Warcry and never really got into it. So I don't know. Is is uh, Dire Chasm like kind of similar? I don't know. Probably. Uh, I do see a lot of awesome kit bash potential. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that uh, the guy with the wings would make a good uh, possessed, right? Mm-hmm. There's uh-huh. something uh, slaneshy about the the red armored vampire dude with the sword. Maybe uh, like a palatine blade. Yeah, he could be a good emperor's children guy. Mm. The lady would be a cool again, like inquisitor, death cult assassin. She's got a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. The dude with the big mace. Uh, he actually, I mean, he does look pretty cool. I don't know what I would use. Him for, though. Yeah. Yeah. Meh. Um, do we even care about the uh, what is it like Titan Quest? What is it called? <laughs> Titanicus. Yeah. Whatever. No. I don't care. I mean, I'm sure some people do, but we knew that was coming, and that looks like power creep. Right. So it's more than a warlord. I mean, how long before they get like a an, imp, an imperator? How do you say that? Imperator? 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 The, the the huge one with the cathedral on his back. It's only a mag <laughs> amount of time before he shows up. Um, is there a an actual full size like Forge World version of the Warmaster? I don't think so. I think Warlord is the biggest. Because okay. there was that guy at the uh, the GW, the British guy. Yeah, he had, that was a warlord. Um, he had a warlord, uh, but it was... Well, first of all, he bought it, assembled, and painted, uh, and it sat in the display case at the local store. So can you really, like, take pride in that? Like, you spent a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. Like, you, you didn't build it, you didn't paint it, you don't even play with it. What's the point? I don't know. I got nothing. I, I mean, it's a cool, it's a cool-looking model. Whatever. It is cool. But but I agree. Like if if I was gonna invest in something like that, I'd probably have it all planned out. Like how I was gonna put it because it's it's you know I think he paid fifteen hundred to get it painted or something. I think it's bigger um, than my son. It is bigger than your son. That is very true. All right, last thing we saved the uh, the I don't know what for last. You've got the uh, <laughs> the Sisters of Battle uh, Derp Mech, which is like the uh, the Grey Knight baby carrier. Yes, the baby carrier. 
I don't know. I, I, guys, like, was anybody asking for this? I mean, it's the sister's version of a Terminator, right? Or a Dreadnought. Or, or like, it's like the Invictor battle suit. Or, again, like, like the, what is it? What's the Grey Knight one? I just type Venerable. Grey Knight baby and then baby carrier. Oh, like the Dread Knight. Uh, yeah, keeping with one. the... Keeping with the baby carrier aesthetic of the penitent engine and all the other sisters sort of hanging the the pilot from the chest. <laughs> it's got a heavy flamer and some shoulder bolters. There's a variant that has, seems to have a mace. Mm. And there's a variant that seems to have a uh, sword. Uh, uh, one's got, it looks like a multi-melta. One's got a heavy bolter. Wouldn't be sisters without flamers. That's right. I mean, I don't, I don't like it. Doesn't mean there's not somebody out there who does, but and I know sisters needed more stuff. Hmm. But man, why not give like an awesome badass like Lady Dreadnought? <laughs> yeah, you could just do a Dreadnought with a slightly you know more ornate or baroque top instead of the baby carrier thing. I don't know. Well, it's their aesthetic because they're girls, so they need to. I don't know. So what's the Grey Knight's excuse then? <laughs> yeah. You know what? After review, uh, my B plus goes down. <laughs> a lot of this we had already seen. That's that's kind of why I was right. I think the heavy intercessors are in the codex. Yeah. And they just they didn't have models. Like, here's the information for the things you can use at some point eventually. Yeah. So we knew. Well. All right. Hey, at least they're still supporting Kill Team. And, and you know, the Cursed City thing, it's got potential. If they, if they manage to make it less of a board game and can make it a little more Mordheim-y, who knows? Maybe it'll be good. I was also thinking how the quote-unquote annual in 2019, and there was there was nothing. Like, it, there was a one, one-off. Like, isn't, it supposed, isn't an annual supposed to come out every year? But then I realized there was nothing new in 2020 for Kill Team, so there's nothing to change. Yeah, it's it, <laughs> actually maybe that's a good segue because uh, so I, I picked up a Sisters of Battle Kill Team because uh, my little game group had almost every other what do you call it squad faction faction uh, represented, and I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll give them a try. For the longest time, I had kind of poo-pooed them because they don't even have a faction bonus and they've only got four strategies. So you think, like, okay, they're, they're not going to be that competitive. They were pretty good. So I kind of wanted to get your take. I, I ran them twice, once again, once against Orcs and once against, uh, I think it was like Kabbalite Drukhari. Mm-hmm. Was it? Yeah. And uh, I crushed both games. Hmm. My question is how? Because on paper, they don't seem great. You know, strength three, toughness three. They don't have that great of options. Oh, you know what it was? It wasn't. It wasn't Drukhar. It was uh, Geller Pox. So I played against Orcs and oh. Geller Pox. So, well, so admittedly, those are both very close combat oriented armies. Uh, and I'll also say I benefited in that I got really good initiative rolls, so that I got to go second the first turn and first the second turn. Mm-hmm. So I was able to react and then set myself up in a really advantageous. And this was both games. So that was very lucky for me. But here, here's at a high level what happened. Uh, I didn't run the specialist retainers in either game because I wanted to try. I've used them in, in 
uh, Militarum games, and I wanted to try just the, the core Sisters of Battle rules. Mm-hmm. So I had one Redemptia in both games. I had between two and three Archiflagellants in both games. I had a Comms uh, Battle Sister in both games, and a Stormbolter Gunner with Sniper Specialist. Okay. And then I had a Flamer uh, Gunner. And I think, I think I gave my uh, my sister superior like a combi flamer in one game and a combi plasma in the other game. So so essentially what I was able to do, your arcoflagellants, especially if they get the charge, are extremely good at taking out uh, low armor crowds. Because mm-hmm. they get, each attack is D3 attacks. They're like the flail of corruption. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, so each attack is D3 attacks. They end up attacking with strength five. And in a, a round in which they charged or were charged, they can reroll all attacks okay. and miss. So I ended up really solidly taking out like at least a couple orc boys or a couple mutants and whatever other Gellerpox stuff, you know, each round from them. Um, the Redemption really even more glass cannony than them because the yeah, that sword is pretty flagellants. It's crazy, but she's only got one wound and no armor save at toughness three. Right. Uh, she's got a six up interval, but that I don't even count that because it's <laughs> anything that you statistically is less than a majority. I I just I assume it's gonna fail. Yeah. But but the arcoflagellants have two wounds, and she's only got one. But she killed a knob, like really easily, like just mm-hmm. completely took him out. Oh, uh, she does she, have a five up disgusting save. Yeah, she does. So they both do have the five ups, but um, you know, if you're fighting against multi damage attacks, it's not going to do much. Right. So, so they were both just extremely effective at like mid level board control, and you had one that was really good at, at big units, and one that was really good at crowds. And that's that's like the crux of where where it came from. So in terms of strategies, they've only got a couple, but they're all pretty useful. Mm-hmm. So, like, the Flagellants have a, for one CP, they can get an extra attack for every enemy model that surrounds them. So I had one turn where a guy had three orcs around him. He got an extra three times D3 attacks. He killed all of them. Yeah. The other one, you can reroll the the D6 for how many shots your Flamer makes, for one. And then for two, your Storm Bolter becomes AP minus two D2. So if you have a sniper, you're rerolling once. You're three up uh, ballistic skill with a comms. You know that'll negate like either a long distance or an obscurement. And then if you're you know half range or less, you get four shots. Hmm. So that's actually not bad. You can make your sister Repentia a, a damage characteristic of three for one CP. For one CP. Okay. And it's usually two. I think I did that. That's how I just I completely annihilated the nut. Yeah, and she. I think she died the next round, but it doesn't matter because she already did the thing she was supposed to do, like kill a knob and then tie up another guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so all, all in all, like the strategy is, um, you know, your your battle sisters are pretty resilient because of the power armor um, against like non AP weapons, so they they're reasonably good at you know shuffling around the board mm-hmm. and just holding stuff. Not not, not great, but fine. Um, you got enough close combat units that you can kind of use successfully in, in different scenarios. And then if you need something else, you got Gottfried or Pius Foran. Mm-hmm. So so all in all, like low key, they are one of the 
most agile uh, groups that I've had that have a combination of like resilient with, with like a medium body count. I think I undervalue uh, D1 weapons more than I probably should. Just because I was so tired of inflicting flesh wounds and uh, playing against, you know, transhuman physiology, and it doesn't even make a difference because they can still hit the same. It was just like, fuck this. I'm taking, I'm supercharging my plasma. Suck my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so it's a really good point, but like when you're, the other thing is don't like underestimate the impact that that has on morale. Right. Because they count as uh, that number that you need to get broken. Right. So like, actually, I think I had an arcoflagellate flesh wound two guys and kill one. But, you know, for the purposes of a morale test, all three of those guys are now, you know, getting us closer to a break test. And I was even playing around with uh, a Night Lord's team that sort that works on that mechanic. Uh you know, inflict as much as many flesh wounds as you can, and then debuff their leadership. Uh, but I don't think I ever did anything with that. It was just sort of kicking around in my head. It it would work on a lot of groups. It's it's one of these things where there are a lot of checks. That, like Sisters of Battle is a good example. If I was against like Admech, that might be harder because they've got all those plasma calibers mm-hmm. or. Uh, a lot of multi-wound guys, or probably like Death Guard might be harder. Mm-hmm. I don't think Drukari would be too tough, but like probably like Eldar would. Yeah. So, that, so there are some hard... Yeah. Make sure you take out the Synapse, otherwise that's useless. Exactly. Great point. So like that's another one. So there's some hard checks in there. Yeah. Um, so like the Night Lords is a great example. That would be hyper-effective against like high model count teams that have low armor. But if you're up against you know anything that's not high mod kind, you are just completely nuked. Yeah. So actually, that could be very viable against like orcs, uh, guard, probably Geller Pox, maybe chaos if they got a lot of cultists. Mm-hmm. Like chaos on chaos, violence, right? <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna try them again this week. We'll see. I might play Tau. I think Tau's gonna be hard because Tau's much more shooty, and the close combat's gonna be a lot more difficult to figure out. Right. One of my plans is so Gottfried has uh, three wounds and a, a three-up infalm. So if I can charge into a group of, of his firing line and force them to use the greater good and or you know burn the two CP for a better Overwatch, might be able to tie does, them up. Yeah, I was going to say, does Gottfried actually do a lot of killing for you? No, it's it's purely a distraction. Because he's nigh invincible, but yeah, I don't see him. He's a little expensive for his damage output. He, he's great if you want to distract them and hold a point. Uh-huh. Um, but you're right, like five attacks. Now, granted, like against like Tau guys who don't have involves, like the AP minus three would basically nuke their armor. But for 20 points, I don't know if he's worth it. I agree. So that's it for me. Have you been experimenting with any teams or any new observations? Uh, no, I've been been doing a lot of painting. That's about all. My uh, painting's good. Yeah, my. My Chaos Knight, I got his legs done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so the metal bits are finished. I just glued on the armor plates, which looks silly because I haven't weathered them yet. So so all the metal is like all rusty and and beaten up, and then the armor is pristine. (laughs) So so that brings up a good question I meant to ask you, which is... Uh When do you decide whether you're going to just assemble a model and paint it doing the best you can versus like painting each component separately? Usually, uh, if there's something 
like uh, if a model's two-handing a weapon, that's going to make it difficult to reach the, the chest part or anything that's going to be that's going to make painting difficult because it's obstructed. I, I do sub-assemblies. ways, but um, since the legs and the armor were so different, I left like I I just green blue blue tacked the armor plates to bits of sprue. Oh, that's smart. And I just held it with a sprue, painted those up. Just because I'd be, you know, actually coloring them as opposed to, you know, metal and and washing and rusting. So are you gonna do some like freehand? Because I know they have like the the shields that you can paint like a coat of arms on, right? Yeah. So I've I, I already glued the Slanesh symbol to uh, the iron ion shield. The Slanesh symbol that came with the the KS Rhino. Oh, nice. Uh, it it fit on there pretty well. Good size for that. But yeah, probably put some chaos stars on the shoulder pads. And... So, so I meant to also say, you know, thinking about the, do you assemble and then paint, or paint and then assemble? Mm-hmm. For me, it really depends on how much I care about the model. Because <laughs> I think for me, the the group of models I cared about the most, it was the, the Death Guard. I really wanted them to look good because I was going to have a good time painting them. Mm-hmm. And my Thousand Sons, like the first group I got for Kill Team when I got back into the hobby. I had just wanted a Thousand Sons army for so long since <laughs> I was a kid, and then now they had these awesome plastic models, and I wanted to get it right. Mm-hmm. So I, I painted the components and then assembled them. But honestly, I did the second batch assembled. You can't really tell the difference. And that could be because <laughs> I, I got better as a painter between the first and second round. But, but it's like you, very rarely with the stuff I have anyway is anyone going to like be looking super closely at the gap between like their bolter and their chest. Right. So I kind of just let it go in the in the interest of getting it done. Yeah, usually just if it's going to be obstructed, uh, difficult to reach. But even if it is, you know, just slather some paint on, and then you know, you could always say it's in shadow. <laughs> you know, it doesn't True. have to. You don't have to highlight it if it's if it's uh, in shadow. It's a good point. Just paint it black. Well, that's it for me today. I know uh, in future I, I have a couple folks who might be bringing on as guest stars. I know we're thinking about doing a, another edition of trying to explain stuff to our spouses. I think having Amanda on would be funny. Yeah. If she'd be, would she even want to though? <laughs> or she's so burned out by our stuff at this point. That I think that would be fun because at least Gabby is receptive. <laughs> you know, so she like takes an interest and wants to learn. Amanda just be like, that's stupid. <laughs> and like find all the holes in, in the stuff that we're talking about. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, We'll talk soon. We'll have a couple projects to announce, hopefully, in the near future. But until then, I've been Ben. I've been Tom. And we are... What are we, Tom? Like and subscribe button. Mash that like and subscribe. That's what we are. All right. What do we always say, Tom? 40-something dudes. Yeah, (laughs) 40-something dudes. No, what, What do we always say? Good fight. Good night. No, it's what do you, you adios something. Adios, bitchachos. Alright, adios, bitchachos. Alright, bye everyone.